You're listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM, coming to you live from Tasmania, right across Australia. Each weekday at 9am, you can hear what the Bible says about past, current, and future events. Learn how to study the Bible more effectively and get to know who God is, why we're here, and where we're going, and experience personal encounters with Jesus. I'm David Leo, and today we are continuing the series on the Minor Prophets. Not minor in significance, only by their brief stints in the library of our awesome Bible. And so today we're looking at Zephaniah. But if you want to listen to the last four episodes that I've looked at, I've looked at four minor prophets, um, you can download the Faith FM app, or you can go to the website, faithfm.com.au, and you could um, look at the previous episodes then. I started off with a book called Obadiah, and then Nahum, Habakkuk, and we're starting to notice a, uh, sorry, it's three episodes, there was three episodes, this is the fourth episode, but we're starting to notice a common theme, I'm, hope, I'm hoping for those of you that have been tuning in, that you're starting to notice that theme as well, and, and the theme is a rebuke or a reproof to the, to the people, either the people of God or the Edomites or whoever, but what we're, tr- what we're seeing here is a character of God where judgment is pronounced, you know, it's, uh, we'll talk about this more as we go into the program because we're going to look at Zephaniah and today's, uh, title for Zephaniah is Zephaniah the party pooper. You know, we always have that, uh, that, that one person we're having a great, great time or having a good, good old conversation and somebody brings something up that brings it down, a Debbie Downer. But we'll talk about Zephaniah, the party pooper, right? And, and he's, um, he, he's got three chapters in his book. And he's about to spoil the party of God's people because they're having a grand old time and Zephaniah just puts them in check. And we want to talk about that, how important it is to be put into check, right? For somebody to pull us up and let us know what the reality of the situation is. So I'm hoping you're having a good start to your Wednesday that started off all right. I've heard Wednesday referred to as hump day. So if you're on a slump, Make sure you go on the up upside and make Wednesday a great day. We're going to start off with Zephaniah. And even though it may sound like bad news, I want to guarantee you it is indeed uh, good news. And so we start by me. Maybe I'm whining. Maybe this has affected me too much. But just recently, my Toyota Kluger that I bought way back in 2007 it's as old as my son, 16 years old. I got it when it was 13 kilometers on the clock. And, um, man, it was nice and fresh then. It's far from that now. But just a few weeks ago, I was driving along on my way home, and then I had to pull over because I had no choice. The car had conked out on me. The car broke down, and... Um, had to call in the, you know, we call it RECT here in, in Tasmania. And they had to come and help me. So there was two hours out of my day just waiting in the car for the tow truck to come. And what the problem was, was the alternator needed to be replaced. 16 years. I praise God for that. That's a long time for an alternator to last. But, you know, when I'm driving in the car, I do not observe these things. I check the oil, I check the water, brakes every now and then, the tires, but you know, I don't, I wouldn't even know how to look at an alternator. 
But over a, t- a period of time, this alternator has been wearing out. It's been, you know, it's done its time and it needed to be checked and eventually replaced. Only the mechanics can do that. Only the mechanics have the, have the know-how on doing things like that. And eventually the car broke down. But if I had known, if I was a mechanic and I had all those credentials, perhaps I could have heard some things in the engine or I could have observed some things with the battery and I would have known, oh yeah, something's, something's happened to the alternator, right? The alternator's going to need replacing. And I use that as an illustration. The car is an inanimate object. We want to talk about people because God loves people. And people, boy, if we ever need checking, yeah, that's that's definitely us. If we're left to our own devices, if children, oh, I can't even imagine that. But could you imagine if children were never corrected? <laughs> Perhaps we're seeing some of that, and some seeing some of that results in in the world we're living in right now, right? And I, and I say that because some of the things that Jason and I have talked about in the past, some of the policies that have come through. In fact, uh, I want to say this: we've probably become so accustomed to not being reproved or rebuked or disciplined that even laws and policies have begun to swing our ways. What do I mean by that? Something Jason and I talked about recently is there are policies in uh, California where retail stores have had to change their their, uh, policy to say if somebody is stealing from the store, you can't stop them because they've had two retail assistants actually get murdered from this. So this is a safety measure. So what do people do? What do people do when they're unchecked? They get a sniff of this new law, and then they say, you know what, let's walk in and steal what we want and take what we want in broad daylight in front of the retail assistants, and they don't get checked, not even by the, not even by the cops, right? They can't even, <laughs> can't even stop these guys. And some of the, some of the videos that, that Jason and I have been sharing with each other, uh, it, it's, it's something you just probably wouldn't even witness. But this is, I don't, again, this is just an example when people are left unchecked. And so we, um, we want to talk about that today. You know, Revelation, Revelation 3 verse 19, it says this, Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Okay, there's an instruction there. What a beautiful, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna focus on this text. This is the text we're gonna be looking at, uh, Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Be, uh, be, be intentional about it. You know, make an effort to repent. Put some, <laughs> put some effort behind, you know, confessing. And, and repenting and turning it, repenting means turning your life around, right? But listen to verse 20 and 21. They're beautiful. It says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, he starts off with in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. The King James. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I chasten. <laughs> and then it follows up. When I knock on your door, those who repent, they will answer the door. 
They're not afraid of Jesus knocking at the door. In fact, they are so keen to have Jesus in their home that they would open that door and allow him to come in so they may eat together. Beautiful. And then the promise comes with it. In verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This basically sums up what we're going to go through with Zephaniah. Zephaniah is broken into three chapters and it does the same thing. The same thing, the language that Zephaniah uses. Oof, it is, man, it really hits you hard. Hits you right in the gut. Just like we talked about, uh, Habakkuk as well. In fact, uh, they're around the same time. They're kind of, uh, uh, What's the word? Contemporary prophets. They, they're, they're in and around the same time, and it's an important time. I'll, I'll give a bit of history in our next section and see what that's about. And so <clears throat> I want us to, to, to keep that in mind. The time that Zephaniah is coming with a hard message, tagging onto what Habakkuk just talked about uh, against the Assyrians. And he talks about God's people. You have, you, you need to check yourselves. Something is wrong. Something is terribly wrong. And you have gone off the rails from what God intended for us as his chosen people. And he is our chosen God, but you, you are choosing other gods. Oh man. But we, we won't look at everything. I'll, I'll read some, read some bits that should give us enough, enough insight to say, wow, Zephaniah was that guy. Zephaniah was that guy that had to come with a message so hard and had to capture their attention and have them turn back to God. But it's an amazing message. You know, I, I appreciate speakers and preachers or those party poopers that will say something and it needs to be said. You know, like I said before, uh, I, I, particularly in the Western world, we've become accustomed to not say anything. Let's not offend anybody. And uh, if anyone, these minor prophets, man, they knew their calling and they, they were offensive. And we need people like that in our lives. Who do you have? I wonder, do you have anyone alive right now that is permitted? You've given them permission to pull you up when, you know, things aren't looking right. They're, they're allowed to say something. Why? Why? Why are they allowed? Right? Send us through your your, your answers on zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. Who is someone in your life that you're permitted to do this and to to pull you up, hold you accountable, and why? Why are they permitted to do it? We're going to go to our first song. This song is called uh, "The Love of God" by One Glory, and uh, I look forward to our next section as we give a bit of content context. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can never tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair. Bow down with care God sent His Son To win His erring child He reconciled And pardoned from His sin O oh, love of God 
Taz Encounters on Faith FM and we are talking with we're talking about Zephaniah the party pooper and those words that we were talking about in the previous section Revelation 3 verse 19 those whom I love I reprove and discipline discipline and we're going to look further into that the words of Zephaniah were words of reproof and discipline and the listener question is this is there somebody in your life that you allow to reprove, that you allow to reprove you. You allow them to pull you up, hold you accountable. And why? How come they have that, that permission? I have plenty of people. The first people, first person I, I, uh, allow them to have free reign is my dad. Even to the sage, even as a grown adult, my dad, he can say stuff like that. Why? Because I know how much he cares for me and how much time he's invested in me. All right. So this is why. I think of him immediately, but I have, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm open, open to criticism. And Zephaniah, I'm going to put some context around him, what we're talking about. The first, I'm going to read the first verse, Zephaniah 1 verse 1. Hopefully you've got your Bibles too, so you can follow with me. Zephaniah 1 verse 1 says, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, 
in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So this this uh, introduction of his line, his lineage, is incredibly important. The last person that's mentioned there is Hezekiah, four generations before him. There have been things that have been happening in the 7th century. For three quarters of the 7th century, there has been no loyalty to God. Hezekiah was the last good king right, of, of Judah. He, even though they were under, under the Assyrian rule, he tried, to, he tried to follow God and follow his counsel. But there was one particular person, and this word Zephaniah, it means hidden by God or hid by God. Now there's a lot of speculation around that. What does that mean? I like to go with the argument that God indeed did hide him. I believe that the lineage that he comes from, uh, they, they knew what risks were going to come with Manasseh, King Manasseh. <laughs> when Manasseh ruled Judah, he was the worst king they ever had. He was the most rebellious king, worse than Ahaz. In fact, let me take you to, I want to read out to you Second Kings 21 verse 9. Second Kings 21 verse 9. This is what the Bible says about the days of, of Manasseh. But they did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of God. That was the Canaanites. So the Bible itself describes that when Manasseh led God's people, when God, when, when uh, the people of God, who was Judah, were led by this king Manasseh, they became worse than the Canaanites, the one that God asked Joshua, you need to drive them out of the land in their paganism and their, <clears throat> their way of life. And now, with under the rule of Manasseh, they were now worse than the Canaanites. What an awful, what an awful description to be given to them in that particular time. And not not only were they uh, worse than that. What that means is Manasseh introduced the worship of a god named Molech, and if that rings any bells, yeah, that means sacrificing children. That means lots of kids were brought to the altar of sacrifice for the sake of worship to Moloch. They, they, they indeed had turned their back on God. <clears throat> and so why do I go with this argument as if when I was hidden by God? I believe his parents were uh, students, were faithful followers of God, and they knew there was a calling for their son. So they hid him. And that calling for Zephaniah was to come at the time of Josiah. Why is that important? Because for so long, <clears throat> nearly four generations, they had gone this this uh, this direction of worshiping other gods, practicing a lifestyle that had nothing to do with how God had chosen them as a people to represent Him. They were not representing Him at all. They were not even consulting God anymore. They got to the, that type of place, and the time of Josiah. Just as Habakkuk had prophesied, the Assyrians were about to lose their kingdom, and they were at a time of of their um, nation just being, they're starting to fracture, fracture and crumble. And Josiah, he believed, I don't, the Bible doesn't tell us how old he was by this time, but he's famously known as the, the, the person who became king at eight years old because his dad was assassinated. And we don't know how old he was. Um, in fact, I think it might have been, I think it might hint that he was in his teens when he said he wanted a reform, a revival in, in his kingdom. He wanted them to turn back. He knew something was up, something was wrong, and 
something needs to change. And you know, when, when God does this, when we've seen this in history, right? When when God brings his word, Amos tells us, another another minor prophet, unfortunately won't be covering him, but he tells us that God does not reveal anything. Uh, does not show anything to the people unless he reveals it to his prophets. So every time the word of God comes through and, he, and he's uh, something, there's a revival and a reform, there's always people that God has chosen to say, hey, uh, you've got to give them a message. Give them a special message. In this particular time, it was Zephaniah. So with the rise of another kingdom about to come through, Habakkuk said, if you remember, Habakkuk said it was Babylon that was going to be the, the instrument, or the Chaldeans were going to be the instrument of um, instrument of judgment, and the Assyrians will crumble. And also at this time, if anyone knows the story, this is this is, incre- this is an incredible story. I'm, getting, I'm digressing a bit, but Josiah, he goes on the battleground. He says for a small nation, hey, look, uh, Egypt, I'm going to help you fight um uh, fight the Assyrians, and you know the the Pharaoh actually tells him, "Hey, listen, I had a dream, and your God told me to tell you that you don't need, to, you shouldn't be a part of this." Josiah went anyway, and unfortunately, that he met his fate. He died on the battlefield, and this put into play the prophecy that we see given to Daniel in Daniel two. Now I'm starting to get off track. Let's get let's get back to Zephaniah. This is exciting stuff. And Zephaniah, I'm going to read verses two to six. And here are the words. You're starting to you know, get a taste of what Zephaniah is trying to say to the people of Judah. He says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I hope as you hear that, that rings a bell, the type of language. Fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, man and beast. Sounds like creation, doesn't it? This is a reversal, a reversal of creation. I will, and then verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place, the remnant of Baal, the name of the idolatrous priest, along with the priest, those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of the heaven, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Malek, Malek, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Whoa, he's talking about wiping the earth, starting it clean the type of power that God has to be able to do this, the judgment that God has. Zephaniah is throwing down the gauntlet. This is where you're heading, guys. God said he's going to do this. Now, imagine, uh, imagine these people who have been, who have gone knee-deep into worshipping other gods. They're practicing the things that they were told to practice. They're still priests. You know, there must still be a temple they must still be, they must still have the Sabbath. They do all these things, and yet, their hearts are with Moloch. They're, uh, we, we find out that these people are no longer helping the widows and the orphans. They're not showing justice, doing, uh, middling and, uh, you know, just being crooks in the evening. Hands exchanging trades and money and just a whole heap of evil happening amongst God's people because their hearts are no longer 
with the God of creation. This language of creation is also, also a reminder, hey, uh, I'm that I'm Yahweh, the Lord of, of that creation story. None of them are paying attention to that. I'm often in two minds, you know, with sharing the good news of God. I do this often, right, where I go do Bible study, I share it through sermon, I share with people I meet and, and get to share these things, and I, I wonder where to start. You know, is it, a, is it a good thing to start with the bad news? Because the bad news is going to lead to good news. You know, hey, listen, this earth is not going to last, right? This earth is going to be destroyed. Politicians are going to get, uh, you know, corrupt. The Bible says that kids won't even listen to their parents anymore. Parents don't even love their children anymore. All these things, right? This is where the world is heading. And we, and we can actually kind of see that now. The good news is Jesus is going to return and he's going to renew the earth. Now, even that, even saying that, that could sound like bad news to some people. But I'm often in two minds. Is it right? Is it right to start with the bad news, right? So we can get to the good news? Because I often think, you know, you don't know, you don't know a good thing until, right, you got, you know, the bad thing. But I don't know. I don't know. What, what, what do you think? Anyway, I want you to stay on, stay in tune because we've got a free book offer. It's called True Revival. So I'm going to give a, a code later on, but keep this number. In fact, get in contact with me. The, 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 the listener question this morning is, who is someone in your life that has permission to pull you up, to hold you accountable, and why? Why them? Uh, 048-880-891. 048-880-891. Later on, I'm going to free offer for the book, but text through. Say hello. How's your Wednesday going? Our next song, I love this song. This is called How Marvelous by Daniel Renstrong. And I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder he could love me A sinner condemned unclean How marvelous How wonderful And my song shall ever be How marvelous How wonderful is my Savior's love for me He took my sins and my sorrows And made them His very own And He bore the burden to
face I at last shall see Will be my joy through the ages To sing of His love for me program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. You're listening to Tessie Encounters on Faith FM with me, David Leo, and I'm continuing a series on minor prophets. And we were talking about Zephaniah, Zephaniah the party pooper. He's pulling up the people of Judah, God's people that are meant to represent, represent him. And we just read in the last section, Zephaniah 1 verses 1 to 6, the words that he comes with, you know, God has the power. This God who created the earth has the power to reverse all of that. He can wipe this earth. He's, he's that powerful. Do you realize you may be living your life? He's talking to the people of Judah. Yeah, yeah, you guys are just cruising along, left unchecked, thinking life is awesome. Life is, uh, this is the way we're going to do it all the time. This is the way that life's going to be. Zephaniah says, no. <laughs> no, we've been called to a particular purpose and you act like you don't care and the and the Lord that we worship, he sees this and this is his message. And then he reminds them there's a special line that we see throughout the the uh, Old Testament and I particularly like it when Isaiah uses it. <clears throat> it's cool too when Zephaniah uses it. It's called the day of the Lord. Look out for the day of the Lord. Zephaniah 1 verse 7 to 18 I'm going to read this It says Be silent before the Lord God For the day of the Lord is near The Lord has prepared a sacrifice And consecrated his guests And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice I will punish the officials The king's sons And all who array themselves in foreign attire On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over, the, leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traitors are no more, those committing fraud. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Hear that? The Lord's just got a blind eye. He doesn't see any of this. That's what that's what the people are saying. I'll continue. Verse 13. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near. 
near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so they shall walk like the blind. Because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Does that sound like good news to you? The great day of the Lord? In fact, it sounds pretty terrifying, doesn't it? Yeah, all the elements, all the elements burning, the people having a great old time and fraud, copying the ways of the nations that surround them. The Bible tells us even worse off than the Canaanites. Gone to a, gone to a level of hypocrisy that we've never heard of before. And now it talks about the day of the Lord. And it has a double application. It has a double application. Just like Habakkuk, Nahum, it has an application of God's judgments in that historical time frame, in that short term, or what's going to happen to them. When he says the Chaldeans are going to be used as instruments of judgments, that indeed happened. That was the day of the Lord that he called. But the ultimate day of the Lord, I grew up in the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This is something I heard over and over again. Wow, the day of the Lord, that Jesus will return. The great hope, it's the best thing that we could indeed hope for. How is this world meant to be right? How are things meant to be better? How are our families meant to be in more better situations, our societies, our nations? The only person that can make things right is Jesus Christ. And so for those of us that, that want the best for our fellow brothers and sisters, that want the best for this earth that God created, we look forward to Jesus. We, we want Jesus to fix things. In fact, if he could do it right now. <laughs> but we talk about the day of the Lord. But when we look at Scripture and how Scripture in Matthew 24, in Revelation, in the book of Daniel, when, when the description of Isaiah, when it describes what that day is like when the return of Jesus uh, is, is due, that imminent return, at a time where we're all partying like the, the people of Judah, all having a great old time. Man, these, this, the news, the description of what the, of Jesus' return looks like. Wow. Elements melt. The sky torn apart. Clouds move, rocks, mountains move to the side. The earth responds in such a way that it heaves and breathes and quakes. The return of Jesus is just reeks of, hey, I'm the, I'm the owner. <laughs> I'm, I'm the king of the universe. This place responds to me. And our hearts, they either tremble or they, oh, what's the word? I was about to use the word fear. But they show reverence to the glory of God that they are, we're amazed of what that's like. What does that look like? You know, in, in John, um, 
John 2. In fact, before I, before I mention this, this story, in chapter 3, it tells us who those people are whose hearts are actually rejoicing and revere the glory of God. They, they, as, as they witness the terrifying things happening around them, at the same time, they're like, whoa, that's my powerful Jesus. At the same time, it's a strange thing to try and comprehend, but let me attempt. In the Gospels, it records a moment where Jesus comes into the temple where there's meant to be sacrifice, prayer, repentance, revival, reform, happening for God's people. Instead, just like we read in Zephaniah, his own people are doing business in there. There are stores set up that are selling, making money, making profits, and Jesus has had enough, and he goes through the temple. He's there to teach. He's there to do what the temple's there for. People are coming to be healed, coming to hear a word from the Lord, coming to be prayed over and to be blessed. Not, not to do business, not to get you know, people defrauding them. And so when he sees this, he turns the tables over. The Bible tells us he's angry. And at the end of this, when he flips all the tables, the ones that run away are the ones that are doing business that know they're doing something wrong. Guess who don't run away? The ones that came for healing, to hear a word from God, and to come get a blessing. They didn't go anywhere. They saw Jesus in his in his anger, in his wrath, and it didn't scare them. What they saw was, wow, he's a powerful Jesus. He knows he knows these guys, these these frauds, he knows these wolves. He knows how to get rid of them. That's, that's the Jesus I want to follow. That's what they saw in the temple. And so they follow this Jesus. And so as we look at chapter 3, there's a word that comes up. The people, the remnant people who hang out and want to, yeah, they're called the remnant. The humble and lonely that's, that, that can identify Jesus for who he is. But we'll talk about that in the next section. The book offer today, stay, stay for the code after the break. The book offer is called True Revival by Alan White. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. Alan White, uh, perhaps you've been praying to experience the power of the Holy Spirit and the latter rain. Get ready to have your prayers answered because Jesus is coming soon. Amen. This volume collects Alan White's most important writings on revival. She helps us distinguish between true and false revival and talks about how revival reveals itself in our Christian walk. Can you picture how revival will change your church? Imagine, or your your life. Imagine being filled to overflowing with heavenly love and power. Could it be that you will be the only one through whom God will do something special? Why not give him a chance? The code after the break. And and this is what we talk about. The people, the remnant. They want to experience the true revival. This uh, next song that we're going to go to is called You Are My Stronghold. And this is by Watermark. True revival. God is our stronghold. Lord, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear if you are Peace when there is war all around me. 
has encounters on Faith FM. I'm, I'm David Leal talking about Zephaniah, the party pooper. He's really bringing to God's people and reminding them what they've been called to do. And as he sends out this message, this strong message of reproof and discipline. Chapter 1, we just we just covered. Chapter 2, he now refers to other nations. Other nations are heading in the same direction. And in, in chapter 3, we learn who are those that respond to this message and see it as good news. How do they see it as good news? I just made a comparison in the last section that when Jesus cleared the temple, the ones that didn't leave were the ones that came for healing, came to hear a word from God, and those who wanted to be blessed. And we will learn too from Zephaniah what these people look like that actually are there to hear and to want to be reproved and disciplined. (laughs) There are those who are open to that, isn't there? See, the people who see this as good news are the ones that realize they need this news. Some of you can resonate what I'm ta- what, what I'm talking about. A lot of times we're just going through life thinking this is the way it's meant to be. Until someone speaks to you and says, "Hey, you know it can be done differently." What do you mean? You you ask. It can be done this way. Wow, I had no idea. I thought this is. The way that it's always been done. No. And when you, and you rejoice and you realize, wow, this is great. Or you could say, Hey, listen, I don't want your help. I'm just going to keep doing the way I've always known how to do this. But they accept the reproof and the rejoice in the Lord. I want to read chapter three. And, um, and you should pick up what the, uh, what the rejoicing is all about. It says here in chapter three, verses 12. I'm going to read 12 to 17. It says, but I will, leave, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel. Another word, those who are left, the remnant. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall they be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down. Ooh, it's like a nod to Psalms 23, isn't it? For they shall graze and lie down and none shall make them afraid. Psalms 23 being, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, for they shall graze and lie down. It's a reference, those who follow the good shepherd. Verse 14, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Now God's encouraging. Praise, sing praises, rejoice. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. Oh, didn't he say I'll leave with you a people in your midst? And then he says the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He encourages us to sing praises. And what's his response? He sings praises too. And those who are left over, they respond in this certain way. They are ones that want to want to be reproved and disciplined by the ones they love because they realize their life can be done differently. These are the ones that they, 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 they tell a hunch. They had a hunch that something wasn't right, but they chose not to ignore it. And when they heard the words of Zephaniah, they said, you know what? This is what it is. This is the, this is the hunch. This is the intu- intuition that I've been getting that something isn't right. And so when Josiah starts his reforms and he says, this is the way we're gonna, we're gonna live. 
these are the ones that respond and say, yes, hallelujah, we want to do that too. The topic of the remnant, the ones who are left over, it's a very common and popular um, topic that the Seventh-day Adventists would, would preach on or, or speak on, and I think it's very important. Often it's misinterpreted. Often people start thinking, oh, you know, they're talking about the elite, they're the, they're the, they're the, um, they, they think themselves better than all the rest. And this is, and this is definitely not the, the way it should be, um, articulated nor interpreted. What it means, Zephaniah gives us a really great idea of what the remnant look like, why they are the remnants. They got to that place because they heard the news of where this world is going, that Jesus is coming soon, and they rejoice. They rejoice that Jesus is mighty to save and that he will rejoice over us. What an awesome God. You know, when I was in my, um, when, uh, in, in my, I was about 20 years old, 19 or 20, just turning 20. And I got baptized because I thought it was the right thing to do. We moved from Auckland to Brisbane and I was so devastated as a, as a six, 17 year old at the time. And, um, life had changed. Everything had changed for me. And so I thought, you know, now that I'm going to church all the time, hanging out with mum and dad all the time, I'm a good Christian boy. So I got baptized. And then the very next year, the church, because I'm now a baptized member, they decided to give me some roles. They gave me the role of being a deacon and also an early teen teacher. Not long into it, I had some friends move over to uh, Brisbane as well from New Zealand. And we started hanging out, getting back to my old ways. So now I'm a baptized member and I'm hanging out with my friends we're drinking every now and then, and I'm feeling guilty because I know as someone that's committed to being a member of the church and committed to serving God, this isn't right. But it was fun at the same time. And so I concluded, perhaps I can juggle this two-faced pretend, pretending uh, life, but I had to deal with my guilt. <laughs> I had to deal with my guilt all the time, teaching the kids, hey, alcohol is bad for you. Don't do this and don't do that. And I'm a hypocrite. I'm, I'm doing it myself. Doesn't feel good at all. And um, one morning, one Sunday, sorry, not a morning, it was an afternoon. I had slept all morning. And one Sunday afternoon, my dad and my mom pulled pulled me up and said, come to the sitting room. I wasn't feeling feeling too good, as, as you know, of the effects on the previous night. And he said, I want to have a talk. He said, brought up a serious discussion. And he started saying, hey, Dave, this is what you've done. You need to, you need to consider that when they ask you to be early teen teacher and deacon, this isn't, this isn't a light thing. This was prayer. This was prayer to God asking for counsel. And when they met together, they believed it was you and they chose you and now you're doing this. And he said, you need to make a decision. Either you resign from your roles and, you know, you do what you want or, um, the other thing is, if you don't want to do that, then I'm going to, and my dad was a head outer at the church at the time, so he's a leader. He said, I'm going to take, tell the, the board what you've been doing, and then you'll be removed that way. And I'm thinking, wow, these are, these are embarrassing no matter which way I turn. The third one he said was, you repent right now, and you stop doing what you're doing, being a pretender, calling out everything that I'm feeling guilty about. And I said, Dad, only, you know, he said, Jesus will forgive you. And from here on in, he will empower you to, to live an honest life. I chose that one. Mom and dad, we knelt on the floor. They both placed their hands on me and they prayed over me, asked for forgiveness, asked that I live a life where I don't have to, that I make the right decisions. And that's where my life turned around, being pulled up. And I fell in love with Jesus for, for the following year as I, 
as I was bold enough to tell my friends, no, that's not going to happen. I'm doing this now and I'm getting to know Jesus. Things really flew and I, and I really enjoyed it. I loved it. Loved every moment of it. That's why it's important to be held accountable. That's why it's important that we get, we get checked. It could turn our lives around and Jesus wants to do that for us. I promised a code to claim a free offer. The book's called True Revival. The code is minor four. Minor four. That's M-I-N-O-R number four with no spaces. If you text that code to 0488-880-891, you can claim the free copy of True Revival. What does revival mean? It means turning your life around, giving us tips on how we can um, live a life that is honest to God, that we can rejoice and feel like sheep that are following the, the Good Shepherd. We've got an interesting one next week. Next week, I've got, a, I've got a guest coming on. You've probably heard from her before, Donna Shepard. She's a psychologist. And we're talking about Christians and, and, and mental well-being, particularly this um, this understanding. Sometimes we think, oh, as Christians, because we know Jesus, we don't have to experience depression and anxiety. You know, we should be happy all the time. So we're going to discuss that from a psychologist's point of view. She's um, a Christian Seventh-day Adventist as well. So looking forward to having that discussion. So join us next week for that one. Tomorrow, join David Maxwell and myself. And he's going to go through the teachings of Jesus again. And, uh, again, to put in your, your, uh, the code, minor four, zero four double eight, double eight zero eight nine one to get your free copy. I pray that the Lord will bless you, challenge, and change your life from this Wednesday on. Chosen